So let me paint this picture for you, okay? All right. It's going into hour 16. Uh, it was supposed to be a day shoot. You're now looking at it's almost going to be an overnight shoot, okay? Uh, you have the PAs going into their own click. You have camera department going into their own click. Everyone's starting to plan mutiny on set. Uh, <laughs> they're planning a coup, basically. Uh, and they're not going to show up tomorrow. Like, you know that talk, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> You've been on this. Oh, yeah, for sure. So that's... I, I feel like we fall in those situations all too often, uh, and it's just a result of like not leading the set correctly. Um, I feel like uh, someone who is completely opposite of all of that would mm-hmm. be Nori, in my opinion. Like he is like the opposite, most perfect set, magic tricks, all that kind of stuff. Uh, just the way he leads the set, the way how, how calm the set is. Uh, you never hear yelling on set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, recently this year, I've gotten the chance to work with him. I think he is legitimately one of the like nicest people like on set, especially a director, director who knows uh, the crew's names, you know, who will always say hi to you on set. That kind of respect for the crew really transcends, transcends, you know, and yeah. it really makes you want to work like a lot harder for him. And like you said, he really does control, you know, and manages crew so well that, you know, people trust him. Yeah, I remember. Uh, the first day, first shoot I was on with him, he brought up a bunch of kolaches and donuts <laughs> for the genie and the camera crew. That's awesome. And I was like, "What?" Like, I was like, "I we because I think I don't think we were gonna have breakfast that day." Yeah. Uh, so he brought them all up, and I was like, "That seems kind of insignificant." Yeah. And then like everyone like was like loved him, and like those you would have thought they were the best kolaches in the world. Yeah, that the doesn't way that surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. It was so cool just the way that it totally changed the... Uh, man, it it brought such like a sense of loyalty almost. Yeah, And it's such sure. a small thing. But it's like, I feel like Nori is just full of like... It, it, it just, to me, it speaks about the details and caring about your crew. Just those little things. Yeah, I mean, the first time I worked with him, like I had met him once before. You know? And then that next day, he's like, hey, Michael, how are you doing? I'm like, well, like, you know my name? Like, I <laughs> yeah. met you maybe like like for a few seconds like I think those moments like really kind of like stick out to me yeah make me just want to work for you like way more way harder and just you know yeah come out with an awesome product together yeah so it's I feel like he's very much the person above the project but at the same time by putting the person before the project the project ends up benefiting yeah you guys had such a good conversation man like it was was really cool listening to so many of his stories you know he's been in the industry for so long you know, he's got some really cool stories. <laughs> yeah, he just, he looks at things a little bit differently than everyone else. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, I love that part uh, you had mentioned earlier before we started recording about uh, turkeys and uh, zeros, zeros and, and heroes. Eagles. Or eagles, that's eagles, what it was. Yeah, 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 not heroes. I, I don't know where that was from. <laughs> uh, do you want to explain that quickly? Just Yeah, so basically you want eagles like on your team. Eagles are the people that'll go like above and beyond. Zeros are the people that will just kind of be there for the job and go home and then turkeys are like you basically bad apples you know if you have a turkey on, on your squad you know like it's gonna breed more turkeys so just basically not hiring turkeys finding those people um you know picking picking them out and then just not hiring them again just yeah. really focusing on the eagles um is, is such a good such a good point you know like i've never really thought about th- thought about it that way yeah because it's interesting you you may have like a stellar crew, mm-hmm. but you bring in one or two people that are or lazy negative. or negative yeah. or anything like that, and it tends to just be infectious. It just brings the rest of the crew down. Yeah. Well, it's like, uh, to me, 
in, instantly in my mind, it's like when either I or producers hire someone lesser just because mm-hmm. they didn't cost as much. Yeah. It's like you might even be better without that position on set as a whole yeah. versus bringing in a turkey exactly. that's going to bring down your key players, your eagles. Or just making that tough call and paying somebody a, a yeah. little bit more because yeah. they will bring the quality of the whole production up. Oh, yeah. 200 you know? bucks, like 200 bucks difference. Is that mm-hmm. really worth what's going to happen long run? Yeah. And uh, you guys mentioned like, you know, hiring people that you don't know. You know, you have to find uh, references or like through word of mouth and sometimes that is a risk but you know just being able to like really manage that on set and figuring out quickly like if they are up to par or not yeah sweet let's go and jump into it absolutely so uh, I, I tell people you know that 40,000 years ago, there was a cave in south of France, right? In that cave, there are a thousand drawings, uh, uh, red drawings of horses and animals in movement, okay? On the cave walls, really beautiful. Um, So you might imagine that stories were being told in the dark with a firelight flickering on the cave wall and music being played. The first record we have of humanity was a movie, right? That's a motion picture. It's alive and moving and the shadows are happening and the animals look like they were moving on the wall. This is an old, old thing that we've been doing forever to get our dreams out, right? So when you think about it as an industry, really, you know, as odd as it seems in a business world with doctors and lawyers and uh, in this part of the world, oil, you know, engineers, it's truly an ancient discipline, despite the technology that we've invented and that we had to invent. We almost had to invent electric light in order to do projectors and chemical formulations for film because we have dreams that we want to get out, right? So I think once you start thinking about the business in that fashion, it becomes less, um, it becomes more tangible. It becomes more approachable as a, as a, as a business model because you have a redeeming inherent need to express yourself from your dreams, right? You can't talk about dreams. And in a book, you can read and you can formulate visions in your mind. But if you project those visions on a screen and they're common among everyone in the room, that's magic. It's really, truly uh, it's a, a spiritually uh, uplifting um, exercise you know what we what we do is important <laughs> thank you so much for coming Nori. thanks for having me that's always a pleasure likewise uh so man just if you want to maybe just give a little bit of a backstory sure um i am a director and sometimes director cameraman um and i've been shooting since i was a, a child um i used to shoot super eight movies of commercials on television and order the product, get it home, and then reshoot it not working, and then edit it into the commercial, um, and then we project it for our friends on Sundays. So um, that process taught me a lot about patience, because you have to send the 
cartridge. Uh, you go to the drugstore and you mail it to Kodak, and they would process it. And then they would call my parents and let them know when it was there, and then I'd have to get them to drive me to the, you know, to the pharmacy to go pick up the film, and then, uh, and then editing it with, you know, with a razor blade was not good for a child probably to have and do, but <laughs> you learn. And um, I used to do, and still do, um, magic. I, I, I find that the two things are very similar, right? There's still uh, a, a, a sense of timing. There's an audience uh, expectation. Um, it's music, it's light, and it's, you know, and you hope to tickle people and have them guessing, how did you do that at the end of the day? So, um, you know, I've been... Uh, professionally directing since I was um, in college. I had a music video uh, on MTV when I was, you know, 19, maybe. Um, and I used those music videos to get uh, some attention after I got out of school and I got repped in L.A. and I got to, you know, meet David Fincher and Tarzim was repped by the same production company I, I, I was repped by. Um... Zack Snyder and I started the same day. You know, they got us a, a rental car, Mustang HO, and put us up at the Mondrian Hotel on Sunset. And he looked at me um, over lunch and he said, what happens next, Nori? And if I'd had a time machine, I would have said, Zack, you're going to be two, doing $200 million Superman movies. How's that? Um, so from there, you know, being repped by a production company, I found that I couldn't spend more money than I had uh, because it wasn't my money. Um, and they would say, you need to shoot 16 millimeter on this job, and I wanted to shoot 35 millimeter. And that got frustrating. Now I, I have perspective, and I was just being a brat, apparently. But at the time, I was like, I'm tired of this. I'm going to start my own company. So I came back to Dallas, um, started my own production company, and that was 25 years ago. Um, I have clients today, like Showtime, that I've had that whole time. Um, and continue to do work for. So uh, it's been really good. And um, that, that process of kind of going to Mecca of working in Los Angeles hasn't stopped either. You know, I continue to go there for work and I still have uh, my family there, my crew that I've worked with forever that I love. I've got family crew here, obviously. Um, New York, Miami, Chicago, um, Vancouver, very close to my my crew in Vancouver, uh, London, you know, at some point you wake up and you're like, oh, wow, yeah, I have crew in Paris, um, uh, Rome. So, you know, it's good. And we all are family. You know, you relate to film folks differently than yeah. regular folks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's an unspoken love and trust I think we have for one another. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, I know I got to meet some of your Orlando family the oh, yeah. other day and make them part of my family. That was fun. Good, good. That was really fun. Good. One of the things, just kind of jumping off, I, one of the things we worked together was that month and a half, two months ago. Yeah. Was it longer? Oh, yeah. It, it was. It was a bit ago, but when we were working together, just the way that you led the set really stuck out to me. Um, like, I mean, you were doing like magic tricks during the set. Like, you were like doing just all these different things. It. It was very, it was very unique. I've never worked with a director that did that kind of a thing, but it was crazy the environment, uh, especially like when you have an AD that's like really like just like pushing on things, and you're maybe running behind by a few minutes, 
And it's like when you took time to do a magic trick in the middle. <laughs> and it's like, okay, we can spare two minutes. Let's just do this. And you did it. And it was like, it was funny how it just, it, you could tangibly feel the environment change on set. Uh, I think there's, there's so much value that maybe isn't seen just at face value. I think it's an incredibly complicated art form. Um, it's incredibly expensive. There's so many connecting um, elements for it to work well. I love watching a tight rope act where the guy has the pole when he's walking across, right? And then suddenly he stumbles and he drops the pole. <laughs> and now he is up there without the pole, but you now know it was part of the show. So I think the mastery of the craft uh, at some point becomes, uh, it looks carefree, you know? I think at some point it should look easy. Um, and on set, I don't think you have time for uh, any nonsense. But for me, having, um, having the attention of the crew, in, in particular, the actors, if, if they're connected and they know they're protected, that's first and foremost safety, making sure everyone's safe, right? Making sure everyone got enough sleep, they're, they're uh, not too hot, not too cold, you know? Yeah. Those things are, that's number one. And, and I think once the crew understands that you have their safety in mind, more like a, like a, a parent, you know, um, then, we, then we start there. Um, the actors know they won't get direction from anyone else. Script Soup's not going to come over to them and say, you missed this word. That won't happen, right? They know that I have their back, and it's just the two of us are in this game together. I'll let them know, and we'll be very quiet about it, yeah. right? I've been on sets for TV shows and movies where the director was in the director's chair screaming across the set yeah. at the talent. And, I, I mean, these are A-list directors. Um, I can't work like that. When I, you shared the story the other day, I saw that, uh, uh, was it Mariah Carey, I think? Right, yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she and uh, Nicki Minaj were at each other's throat um, when they showed up, and there was some bad press going on, and I just had to, I had to figure a way to break the ice. So I pretended I was kidnapping her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which she thought was hysterical. I said, we're, we're going to go to New Orleans. We're going to get out of here, Mariah. It was the first thing I said to her when I met her in the back of this SUV. And uh, she died laughing. Her manager and her agent uh, and her attorney weren't happy. But Because you just jumped in the SUV and took mm -hmm. off, didn't you? Mm -hmm. Like, yep. you just took it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like shocking your talent into uh, reality. Um, and, you know, it's different for, every, for everyone. You know, if, if, if I can do a magic trick for a kid... For a child on set, I have their attention all day, right? They're not, they're not thinking about anybody else or candy or anything else. It just, it's the two of us, right? Um, so the same kind of happens for crew, right? Instead of the key grip over there texting, you know, his next job or watching, you know, uh, you know Game of Thrones on his phone, I want them engaged with me on set. So if I have to say, you know, read their minds or, you know, give them an idea that something was going to happen later, they're with me. Um, that plus the fact that, you know, we're all on the same team. We're all trying to do something together. Matthew uh, Modine and I worked together on a job 
I'm a huge fan of Stanley Kubrick, a huge Stanley Kubrick fan. And he um, directed quietly, I'm, I'm told by Matthew. He would just, once he spoke, you could hear a, a pin drop on set, right? I think that that quality of leadership on set is so important. You know, I think if you silently demand respect or quietly observe and you're not shouting direction and everything is planned and decisive. Spielberg had a great one. He says, someone brings two shirts to you, a green one and a red one, pick it quick, <laughs> right? And they say, which one, Steve? The red one. He goes, I might be wrong. You know, later on, we might look and the red shirt's against a red wall and we're like, oh, that was a bad choice, right? But I got it off the mark. And that quick decision-making, even though it was just with the stylist um, next to the trailer, transmits. It's, it's like uh, uh, quantum. It's an instant in the water. Like the moment blood hits the water, the shark knows five miles away, right? The moment there's indecisiveness in the cockpit, the whole crew knows, all the way to the back, the back of the airplane. Everyone knows immediately. It's just transformative. And once the indecisions start occurring, <laughs> all the departments start questioning what they're doing. And they worry about, you know, uh, is this right or is this wrong? So I think decisions have to be made in advance. So in your prep work, um, you know, like on our location scouting, we're talking lenses, we're talking light, we're talking time of day, we're talking styling, we're talking uh, art direction. All of that stuff happens before we get there. And so I think your crew needs to know that. They need to know that you've got confidence in what you have to get. And yep, if it's going to be a 12-hour day, we're going to say it up front, and you're going to know it won't be a minute over 12 hours, right? Yeah. So, so if you can walk that tightrope and continue to entertain the audience, you know, uh, at the same time to keep everyone engaged. It's so like on shoots that are super disorganized where like maybe you as a director, like you haven't even, you haven't been given the direction exactly by agency fully and you're kind of trying to figure it out as you go somewhat. Is that something that you should, is that something you would share with your crew and let them know, hey, we're not completely sure on this, ride with me? Or do you just try to hold it together? Because um, I know that's a situation that, shouldn't happen but definitely happens when when that usually happens is when uh agency hasn't done their homework or they haven't they haven't looked at what we've presented to them um and sometimes that'll happen late in the game um i've been able to learn from the experience on how to manage that so i don't you know like when the pre-production meeting with the agency is short something's wrong. Like if we have a one hour meeting, I'll call a red flag on it. I was like, let's back up everyone. Clearly this meeting should not have been this quick. Um, we're missing some things. Let me explain what we're going to do again. <laughs> yeah. And let me show you, you know, the, the colors of the fabric on the couch in the background, because I don't want us to be on set and have that happen. Yeah. Um, that's usually what happens. It's when creative says, wait a minute, we didn't talk about this. <laughs> or, yeah. What would you do if you find your... I mean, maybe you don't anymore, but what would you do if you do find yourself on set in that situation? Like, how do you manage your crew at that point? Um, you know, that's a tricky one. Um, I, you know, I'd just like to say, you know, I, I always work with 
quality uh, advertising agencies, and yeah. there's never any indecisiveness. Um, yeah, so you, you're walking into it now, like you're always planned yeah. heading into it, and you're call flag on the play before you get to that point. I hope so. Try and be preemptive, yeah. Um, but if there's a problem, like, well, we were in the jungles in um, Puerto Rico, oh, right? Oh, no big deal, yeah. Right? And we're shooting <laughs> Phantom, right? So uh, we're doing 1,000 frames a second, you know, and that was the plan going in. Yeah. Um, the agency client, right, who's with us, yeah. said, I want that uh, actor to say these words at the end of the commercial, right? We didn't have sound. Um, so, but guess what? I had my, my 5D and I had my Rode mic on it. And so I got, you know, this close to the actor and sounded pretty good. And six months later, my wife and I are watching a movie and on the screen comes this commercial that we shot with that piece of dialogue, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that could have been bad, but we made it. Um, just by, you know, dumb luck. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I well, did you let the crew know what was going on, or sure. just were you pretty transparent about that? Absolutely. I think yeah. transparency is the key for a commercial. Yeah. Um, um, I just always wonder because personally, for me, it's like when I'm on set, and even if I'm not like if I'm just DPing it, mm-hmm. not just DPing it. Like that's what my main thing. But it's like if I'm DPing something and I'm I haven't been giving full direction on what we're doing. It's like sometimes it feels I, there's always that balance. Like, am I being a leader if I'm letting them know that we don't know exactly where we're going, but we'll figure it out together? Or is it more like I should be faking it and making it seem like I know where we're going so that they don't feel like we're completely lost? Well, there are two schools of thought. Um, one, say, if it's documentary style, you really don't know where you're going. You yeah. know, you have a rough plan. Yeah. Um, and everyone knows that. Know if you're doing uh, something with, say, a small child, um, I like to, we call it Ebelize. There's a guy, a director in Chicago named Ebel, and he would build these duck blinds, right? These hallways of, you know, duvetine that the kids would walk down to get to the set and they would never see the crew. I totally stole that. That's what we do with children now. And I, I try to do that with celebrities. Like we did that with JLo. I had a tunnel built from her trailer all the way to the set where she didn't see paparazzi, she didn't see crew, she just came straight to me. So um, those situations, uh, the crew knows, right? They know I'm not going to be in the eye line, I'm not going to be behind the camera. I'm not, yeah. you know, we work toward, um, you know, trying to create something together. Yeah, yeah. So even in those situations, I think the crew needs to know, you know, we it'll be a moving target and I... I just, I guess I don't have um, moments. There are moments in prep that are, you yeah. know, we were working with um, Puff Daddy last year and uh, the morning of the Fox team showed up and they didn't like the background that we'd built. And so we sent uh, our department, um, you know, on a two hour run to go find this other set piece that we found that we liked that was on the other side of LA. Um, that could have been catastrophic, right? A two-hour shutdown. But we managed to shoot other elements, and everyone knew, and they adapted, and we, we changed what we were doing to yeah. shoot. And you were just fully transparent about, hey, this is what's going to happen now, yeah. because this didn't happen, and you were just... They know. Yeah. They know. Yeah. You know, no one, there's no surprises, I think. Um, yeah, but, you know, you, you, yeah. you, you adapt. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, 
it was just something that's come up, I feel like, multiple times for me where it's like sometimes I don't know. And it's like, especially when I'm dealing with most of my crew, I try to hire, like, I try to hire people that are much more experienced than me, much older than me, because I know that there's they bring so much more than I could bring to set, uh, that they're just, they're making me look good. Yeah. And it's also like, sometimes it's like when I don't fully know where we're going, I almost, I don't want to like lie to them and be like, oh, it's all going to be great. Like, we totally know where we're going. But it's like, I know they're experienced enough to know like when things aren't. Sure. I mean, I, I hope, I hope I always have a plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope I always have a really good oh, yeah. game plan going in so that the DP and the crew know. But, you know, even then, you know, you'll have a client that'll, you know, suddenly say, well, I know we talked about, you know, shooting this outdoors, but I think I want to be indoors. Yeah. And so instead of, you know, my 21-year-old self saying, well, that's stupid. That's not what we talked about <laughs> at all. I will um, pause and think about it and say, okay, yeah, we can figure that out, right? There are no bad ideas. Yeah. Um, there's just, you know, bad attitudes. <laughs> um, ideas are easy to manufacture. We can do anything. We're filmmakers, right? Yeah. You know? I think taking kind of a 90-degree pivot off that, uh, you're talking about bad attitudes there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this leads to something that I feel like I've been running into increasingly on set where I've had people complaining about their pay. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I just, I, I get to hear about it and be like, they're not paying me this, they're not paying me that. And it's like, okay, well, did you say yes? Okay, well, you said yes, so... <laughs> right. It's kind of like, you shouldn't have said yes if you didn't agree with what they were paying you, and you right. should have had that conversation. Right. And once you said yes, I no longer, like, it's, to me it's no longer my right to complain about what I'm being paid from the second I say yes. Right. Because it was completely my decision. Right. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was your age, <laughs> I had uh, the opportunity to go to dinner with a guy who started TGI Fridays. I think his first restaurant was in Arlington. And uh, we revisited the restaurant. He'd long since sold out, right? Um, and, and retired. And um, but wait... The, uh, the waitress came by and um, took, took our order. And she walked away and he said, she's a zero. I was like, no, she's cute. No, she's not a zero. Come on, <laughs> dude. He's like, no, 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 no. Um, he goes, when we hired, we only hired eagles. An eagle is someone who turns on your customers. And he would say, what did you have for dinner last night? Friday's. I don't know. I had a great, I had a great waiter, though. His name was Mark, and he really was fabulous, and we had so much fun, and he took great care of us, and we can't wait to come back. And he's like, okay, so an eagle may not necessarily get to work on time every day, but they are a pleasure to be around. They're a pleasure to work with, and they uh, are infectious, right? That positive attitude. He goes, I hired too many eagles. He goes, I didn't have places for them, but I knew all the eagles I met, I was going to hire. A zero is someone who comes to work, gets their job done, goes home. They don't affect anyone. They're just empty set. A turkey, right, will turn off your clients, will be negative, will say, I shouldn't be waiting tables. I should be running the bar. I should be managing this restaurant. If I were doing this, uh, I would have that item on the menu and I wouldn't have that item on the menu, right? They're complaining. He said, what happens is when eagles come to work with you, they come to apply with you, they'll sniff out a turkey. 
they'll see that there's a turkey working somewhere in your in your group. He goes, and here's the rule. Eagle will fly with a zero, but an eagle will not fly with a turkey. And if you let one turkey in the group, you get a flock of turkeys. So um, I've tried to follow that when we hire, from the production assistants all the way up. Because yeah. even a bad PA can turn off a client. It can be, oh, no, I should be directing. I would have put the camera over there, <laughs> right? Yep. So um, I find that people that complain about their salary, whatever that is. Asia turkeys. They're not. So they shouldn't, you shouldn't be flying with them. They shouldn't be part of the flock, I think. Because that's negative, yeah. right? And so, um, uh, you know, people that are complaining about salaries, I mean, I know, right? A director's vision is you cut your arms off to get your crane shot, you know? Yeah. You're like, no, I have to have the helicopter. <laughs> I don't care what it costs, right? Um, so the director, that's a whole other thing, right? You yeah. Know, they're going to be selfish. And, yeah. and they're going to want Until the end. Until the, the end. product. They don't yeah. care. They don't care. Um, and to a certain extent, I would assume, you know, most cinematographers feel that way. Yeah. So what you get is you get a, a relationship um, that's built on the art form. And if that, <laughs> if that translates to the production assistants or the stylist or the script supervisor or the key grip you know, then great. They feel like they're a part of it as well, that they're engaged, that they have a sense of the magic that's going on on, on set. Um, bless you. But I don't think that the, you know, I don't think you want to have people complaining about their rates. Agreed on, with you 100%. Yeah. If they've agreed to do it. That's just a really interesting perspective of trying not to even have those people on set. Just, no. They, they can go work for someone else. <laughs> Because my people know I'm, they, they're going to do a good job. I'm going to hire them again. We're going to work together again. What do you do when you're looking for crew, especially in maybe someplace you haven't gone yet? Um, you ask around. You know, you, you try to get good rec- recommendations. Um, I know I found myself. I've started yeah. looking at their Instagrams and their Facebooks before I even call them. Yeah. But I partially sounded, felt a little bit creepy, but it was like, I want to make sure these people are... Yeah. I want to make sure they align with what my crew aligns with. And yeah. I, I, yeah, I get it, you know. Um, I don't know that I, I necessarily would uh, rely on my Instagram feed. For, <laughs> for my, in, my Instagram feed is like a, a gerbil in a cage upstairs every now and then. I need to go feed it, you know. I keep forgetting about it. I'm like, oh, I need to give it some water. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, I think word of mouth. You, you get good recommendations. You know, usually the keys will have good people around them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know? Yeah. And even now, I mean, you know, like I said, 20 years of working in, in L.A., um, you know, there were some bad days. We had some bad days. Like, I on the second stage. I hear, you know, that there's uh, some tension going on between the key grip and the gaffer. And I'm like, what is going on, right? This, these guys are like my family. Um then I find out, you know, that there was some internal, you know, struggling going on between them. So we, we made decisions to change that. So now, you How know. How do you approach those situations? Um, we just don't ask them to come back, you know. We don't ask the. Usually it's, you know, one person's fault, and then we just hire someone else. <laughs> right? Do you do that mid-shoot, or is that just no. the way to end the shoot? And then yeah, you... yeah, usually after. Yeah. 
because uh, that's both. <laughs> That'd have to be a pretty bad situation. No, no, that's. Um, I, you know, I've 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 seen it <laughs> where I had a you know ads were tough with me starting out. I had a hard time finding the right assistant director because usually, um, no offense to ads, but sometimes they can be really loud. Um, I remember we were scouting um, a location, and it was the first day of the tech scout. But because of scheduling, we had to have the clients with us. So I had the advertising agency and one 15-passenger van crew in the other. And we pull up to the location, and the assistant director who had been given to me <laughs> gets out and says, okay, we're going to put the camera here. <laughs> I was like, no, we're not. This is the first time we've gotten here. I'm not, we're not going to put the camera here. No. So he did this a couple of more times. I said, could you just please go back to the van and stay there <laughs> until the, the scout's over, Right. And then I'll let you know what the schedule is going to be, right? Um, so I didn't, never worked with that AD again, but my best friend is my AD now uh, out of Austin. And he's incredible. And, I, you know, he and I communicate like ants. We don't have to speak. We get it, you know. Um, if there's any sort of tension at all or there's any sort of problems at all, he, he and I are on it. So what to you makes a good first AD? Like, what makes him... I think the quality in an assistant director um, that I feel like everyone um, yearns for is someone who can control the set um, without, without being a dictator, right? That can properly put a schedule together that's thoughtful to the crew and to the, to the, uh, uh, to the client's needs as well. So it's someone who really is kind of super, you know, is a superhero. You know, someone who does an incredible schedule, who operates the set um, with total control that allows you as a director your freedom to um, manage the actors and not have to worry, you know, about schedule and safety. You know, I think those are, those are the big components. Um, and I like uh, omniscience. I love having an AD who is very well aware of what's going on outside or in the parking lot or on the next setup, right? And who yeah. really can control their seconds um, properly so that they are managed and everyone knows, you know, okay, we're at extras holding what's going on over there and when are we going to need them so that we're not waiting for something. Yeah. You know, that to me is a great uh, AD, someone who's fought through the entire day and has an answer every time you turn around. Uh, it's hard, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So jumping back into it, so just talking about, we were talking a little bit about complaining about pay and all that. Right. I think that kind of leads into uh, free work right? and stuff that kind of just maybe a view on maybe when people offer you a lower rate job or stuff like that, what, what goes into that decision process for you? Um, you know, it's funny you brought that up. I'm doing a, a film right now I'm producing for two young uh, directors. Um, they're 16 years old. But they're doing a film about school shootings. And it, it's such a compelling story from a high school-aged uh, mind that I, I'm not qualified to, to tell that story. But a teenager in high school is. So... Um, this seems like a really important project to donate my time and my effort for. Um, 
So I think, you know, when an agency comes to me, um, like they do all the time right now for some reason, and they want a favor job, well, I think that it's a relationship builder. It's an opportunity for me to help the agency grow. It's an opportunity for me to sharpen my skill set. Um, a guy that, a uh, director that I used to bid a lot against, uh, Marcus Nispel is his name. Um, Marcus uh, told me, he said, you know, I challenge you to look at my reel and tell me what's a big budget spot and what's a no budget spot, right? So I think you put the same effort and time into it because we're only on earth for so long, whether it's free or not, right? Um, did a Make-A-Wish commercial with the Texas Rangers and absolutely zero budget, no money, right? So we have the Phantom, we have the drip trucks, and everyone's donating their time and effort for that cause because it's such an important cause. So I think those are deciding factors. Um, if it's something that's going to, if I'm donating my time and my energy toward um, something that's, that's, say, going to be a real builder for another director and they're not on my roster, <laughs> right? um, I'm not interested, right? So those are decision, you know, is it for a worthy cause, number one? Um, do we think we can do something good? Would be number two. Uh, is it a relationship builder with an agency? You know, it's all of those factors. And I tend to not get approached about, you know, I get a lot of screenplays and a lot of people who want to, you know, make you know, movies or documentaries. And, and you try to, to approach all of them with respect and dignity. Um, and the ones that I don't have time to read, I'll just say, I just don't have time. And, you know, I'll try to connect them to someone else. Um, so I don't know. I think at some point you don't get approached <laughs> with the really stupid stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm only approached to do, you know, low budget or comp or for, yeah. you know, for clients that I respect. Well, and I noticed something. Uh, I think this is probably a, a personal question, I guess, for you, for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I noticed that I, I haven't been getting, like, I haven't been doing quite as much running gun stuff recently. Mm -hmm. uh, and it came up the other day, I asked a friend, I was like, hey, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not getting like asked on a few of these jobs here. Do you know why? Um, and he was like, you know, I think just the way that your Instagram looks, it looks like you only do large jobs now. There you um, go. And I was just like, really? Like, and like, I'll like, people will come to me and like ask me about a job. They're like, I don't know if this would be below you or if you would be able yeah. to take this. I'm like, why would this be below me? Like, right. I don't feel like anything is below me. <laughs> like, right, right. I mean, I'll be showing on an A7 one job, and then the next job I'll be on the Alexa. Like, it's right, not. Right, But I don't, did you have that? Or did you have maybe, has that happened where it's like, I feel like probably that. Um, I, I agree with you. I think it's what you project. Um, you know, I taught a class at UTA in film last year because I, you know, I really wanted to, uh, re, you know, reconnect with a film program over there. I'm really good friends with those, those professors and, and with the school. Um, and I was proud of the work and we won a Clio and we won a ton of Addies and a bunch of other awards. And so, um, I, you know, I was, I shared, you know, I shared that work on s social media. Well, suddenly I get all of these requests for, you know, uh, can you, can you, you know, do this? Can we get this done for free? Can you get some of your students to shoot this for me? I get a lot of that right now. Yeah. Um, 
which is probably not healthy, <laughs> right? I'd rather it be the you know the million dollar jobs that I'm projecting. Yeah. Um, so do you uh, from taking from that then? Mm-hmm. Do you think it's better to share the like the broadness of your work, or do you just post what you want to get? I'm happy to share everything that I'm proud of. Um, so. Um, you know, so, what the trick is, you know, when you release, you know? Yeah. When do you post? Um, you know, for example, on our um, Reels, you know, project, yeah. you know? Um, I, I really, you know, only wanted to share one or two images from that. Um, and we'll talk about it when it happens, right? Yeah. Then I'll start sharing when it, when it, when it airs, you know? Um, so, I don't know. I think, I think you... You you you're you know, you're probably more intuitive about that than than. I just I just yeah. thought it was interesting. It's like I was like, I didn't realize that social had that kind of impact by any means. Yeah. Because I mean I don't, I get messages back about stuff, but it's not like I'm always getting it. So it's like you don't know how much effect it really has. Right. I guess until someone said that to me. Yeah. I was like, really? You get that impression? I was yeah. like, I was just trying to take cool photos on set. Right. And like <laughs> I was just like, I. I don't know. Yeah. Obviously, I post more about the cool stuff when the cool stuff is happening. Right. It's interesting to me. Right. Yeah. But I get that uh, from time to time. Like, yeah. I don't think we can afford you, you know? Yeah. Well, it's just like, <laughs> oh, that budget is actually totally higher than my day rate. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. Sure. <laughs> right? That's yeah. good. Is there any kind of filter that you use when you're putting, not like actual filter, but like, is there anything that you kind of filter your post through? Or do you just kind of share just whatever? Uh, no, I, I mean, it has to be of quality. Um, you know, we're starting this new studio production company uh, called Thousand Foot Squid. So I'm slowly starting to release one piece uh, for each filmmaker, for each director on, uh, on Facebook. So that, you know, that's my plan on the website going into it. I don't want you to go into it like it's a menu and just click and look at the entire director's reel. Um, I'd rather it be inter- entertaining and engaging for you. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to be filtering um, substantially um, moving forward. Um, and same for social. I mean, I, <laughs> um, you know, I think it's nice to make sure everyone knows that you're, you're busy and you're working, you know. But, yeah. Um, you know, I try to control that a little bit. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so as far as the thoughts on teach, going into you teaching and working with them, um, a question I've seen pop up a few times now is thoughts on teaching other people and like mentoring and stuff like that, but then also worrying about them maybe potentially turning around and either stealing your tricks or like stealing your clients. Um, stealing clients is a good one. Yeah. See, I don't mind them stealing the tricks, right? Um, Good luck. <laughs> I have seen work on air that other agencies have clearly said. Like there was a, uh, a Dior uh, campaign that came out a couple of years ago that was an exact ripoff of something I had done for Dexter. It was clear that the Paris-based advertising agency had seen that work and said, uh, well, you know, we will take this because uh, no one probably saw this in America, you know. And, and they got Brad Pitt, and they shot the exact same thing that I had shot for Dexter. <laughs> yeah. Um, Just like that. That's how they said it. 
I think it was exactly like that, where they said it in English with a, a bizarre French accent. Um, so I've been ripped off on air, you know? Um, the Ritz Carlton had an in-room video playing on their monitors that was an exact ripoff of something I had done. Even the music, the styling, the everything was exactly to where, you know, I'm just laughing about it. You know, yeah. I was available. I think I could have done that for them, right? <laughs> How do you take that? It's a compliment because you feel like, oh, I'm really out there. I'm really pushing the envelope, right? Yeah. I must be doing it right because clearly other people want to rip me off. There was a production designer in in California who decided he was going to become a director and he sent me a reel of his work back when we shared them on DVDs and the first spot on his reel was something I had shot right so <laughs> and he was trying to pass it off as his own his own it says you know had his name on it it said director so I had to call him and say hey dude you know first off I am flattered you clearly could have stolen work from anyone in the world but you chose my work to steal and I'm just thank you for that right but, and you said that to him? Yeah, but, I, you know, <laughs> I, I question all the rest of the work on the reel it not being it yours. It was really, yeah. Yeah, but tricks, yeah. Clients is another thing. Um, I've seen that firsthand, by the way, where, um, like I said, you know, clearly we were walking on a tightrope and we made it look easy. And so clients would bring someone along to observe, right? So they would yeah. have them on to watch what I was doing um, and take notes for a week yeah, and then sure enough I turn around and they've hired that person to do the work right and then then the whole truck caught fire and it was a disaster right and then ultimately the agency lost the client right because they took a shortcut and they thought we can do this you know less for less money with someone else so I think that's a mistake on the agency's part Um, if they're willing to take that risk then Says something about the agency. Great. I've yeah. got other stuff to do. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've got more mountains to climb. If they want to steal agency or clients, have at it. <laughs> Does that taint at all how you, like, how you, like, kind of mentor people and teach and all that? Absolutely not. I am 100% happy to share any and all knowledge with anyone who wants to have it. I didn't have anyone in my life like that, you know. I had yeah. tech textbooks and and didn't have YouTube or, <laughs> or Vimeo. And over the long run, how has that worked out for you? Like, um, I think it's been really, really good, really positive. You know, I've had, I've had many um, folks wind up working with me and for me that have come from that shared uh, knowledge. I always tell, you know, young folks starting out, I say, you know, be, be, aw- be aware uh, of people who are guarded with their knowledge. So, for example, and I'm sure you see it, you know, when you're asking questions about technology, um, often the person who will be most guarded with that information will be the one you don't want to work with. And sometimes it's the person you're buying the gear from, right? You know? Um, So I just, you know, I think anyone who's too guarded with their knowledge or information isn't safe, you know? And why would you say that? Where does that stem from, do you think? I think it is uh, they're protecting themselves. They're protecting their their job, which is fine. Um, but I just want a team of people that are all communicating, right? Yeah. If the NASA team had been fully on board with each other, 
right? Uh, whether it was, you know, metric measurements uh, or inches, we would have saved a $700 million probe that smashed into the planet because one department of scientists wasn't talking to the other department, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So they got their, their measurements wrong. We don't want those accidents. So I think, I think it's healthy that we're all communicating and we're sharing our knowledge because it's only going to get better, right? Like, you know, when we're, when we're sharing information, the craft grows. We're all growing together. It's an evolving... Do you worry about that? I guess I go back to, like, the parable of the seed, like, sowing the seed. Do you worry about your seed falling on dry ground then? Or do you just, you sow it and you just keep going? I have a feeling, yes. I mean, certainly at a university level, you've got a, a, a class full of folks that you don't know, Yeah. right? You haven't picked those, those students. Yeah. Um, but you can see the all-stars, right? One of my all-stars in that class is screening her short film at the Dallas International Film Festival where I'm going to be screening in two weeks. So I'm proud of her. I'm excited for these people because hopefully, you know, they, they mature and they create work and we're all benefiting from that. Certainly, I think the industry in, in Texas or in Dallas, I think, could benefit from more shared information. I mean, production companies are very guarded, you know, they, they, especially uh, commercial production houses, you know. Yeah. So I just think, you know, again, with confidence, you go into it knowing that you're going to try to be prolific and do great work and share your techniques. You know, I used to, <laughs> when I would do telecine on film, I used to take the images before they went to, to, to digital tape, right? This is how we did that. And I would squeeze them just a half a millimeter uh, left and right. So that before the film went to, uh, to tape, that was my trick. Because that, mean, that meant that if another DP tried to copy me, and they would shoot, and they would look at the two images, and I would hear it. I'm like, how are you doing this? Why is your film always so much prettier than my film, I would hear. <laughs> and it was like a magic mirror, right? All my people looked a little skinnier and a little taller and a little, you know, prettier. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't something that you could even see on the scope. It was yeah. just such a slight little tiny thing. Um, and you learn techniques. Like, I remember seeing David Fincher do that for a Madonna video back in the 90s. Um, where he took a pass of the film that they had edited and he defocused it and he ran it over a pass in focus, right? Simple dissolve between the out-of-focus pass and the sharp pass. What happened is it looked like you had polished the colors, you know? Like everything had a polish to it, yet it was still in focus and sharp, you know? It was a little halo, a little glow. So it was just kind of smoothening Mm -hmm. almost. And now that's an app, right? Your iPhone has that app, I'm sure, right now. But back then... That was a technique. And so I was like, okay, I can steal that from him. I'm going to make my film, you know. I'm going to do that <laughs> on my stuff, right? Yeah. So you learn. Um, and if, you, if you're seeking the knowledge, right? You're going to continue finding new knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah. That's to me, I, I, I follow the... To me, I, I want to share as much as I can. Because right. honestly, I feel like half the people that I'm sharing it with, I probably will end up working for someday. Heck yeah. And so it's like, right? if they have good memories of me when they get to the higher positions, yep. it's like, I'll still have a job. <laughs> you know, it's, it's also in how you apply it, right? Um, the things you learn that you take along with you. We were doing a 7-Eleven commercial in Vancouver, and we had scouted 
Um, were multiple setups, ton of company moves, right? So we'd scouted this one location where the truck was supposed to open at dawn with fresh sandwiches, right? Um, we'd scouted during the day. When we get there at night, you know, the truck's there, the electric's all plugged in, the dolly track's all set up, you know, cribbing's down. Well, lo and behold, in the background, there's a Morton's of Chicago neon, red neon, as plain <laughs> as day that we didn't see during the yeah. daylight, right? Yeah. So now the post house is like, okay, we'll, be, uh, we'll rotoscope it. It'll be, uh, you know, $1,500 an hour, probably 10 hours of work. So it's 15 grand. Uh, we approve the overage. The agency signs off on the overage. This is all happening on set while I'm trying to get the camera in place and get the exposure and figure it out. Yeah. And I walk over. I'm like, what just happened? They're like, oh, no, we, we're fine. We're going to rotoscope it. We're going to paint it out, you know, in post. So just go, Nori. You don't have to re- recompose. I'm like, wait a minute. I took a little bit of nose grease, put it on the lens. It's gone. They're like, what happened? I'm like, yeah, I took care of it with a, you know, <laughs> With a little bit of nose grease. They're like, well, okay, perfect. Okay, continue. I'm like, okay. Most so expensive nose grease ever. Sometimes, right? Yeah. You have an old school way of doing things. We didn't have digital, you know, 100 years ago. Yeah. You're shooting westerns and you're doing day for night with a filter. And don't see the sky, right? We'll get on a high, you know, cliff and look down at the horses. It'll look like night. You know, make it blue. Um, we do stuff, right? Yeah. We're magicians. You know, same for magic. I have, I'm good friends with some really leading-edge um, uh, mentalists, right, and, and card magicians. And their tricks and the things that they're doing, they're sharing with each other, right? I, I just I did this thing. I'm going to share it with you, right? And they'll t- tell me about it, and then I'll apply it to, you know, my on-set wizardry. And, uh, uh, but it's not, you know, it's shared information. They're not guarded about it. They're quite honest about how the how the, the illusion worked. It's how you apply it. You know, it's how you how you integrate it into your uh, your day. Like, what are you doing? To to how do you make that part of your your act? Right. Yeah. So it's your trick, but it's the way you use it. You know, that makes it you. You know, uh, if it's if it's a lens or if it's a, a way you look at the light, if it's something like that, it's not a trick. It's it's part of why people are hiring you, you know? Yeah. Um, wow. The tricks are good to know. You need to know the tricks. Oh, yeah. And always having new ones and constantly, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. I think we'll end it there. Thank you so much. Oh, sure. That Brandon. was awesome talking. Thank you for having me. So I loved what he was talking about there with transparency and everything. Um, yeah. I actually just got done with, uh, I, I don't know if I told you, uh, The Altar. It was me and Matthew Ross. We did a project for Music Bed. Oh, and cool. we just got done with that. And afterwards we got done. I was talking to my AC and I was really just like, man, like what can I do? What, what can I do better? He just talked about how valuable that communication is on set, that transparency. One of my questions was like, how can I respect you more? Yeah. What can I do to show you more respect, to make you feel more valuable? Uh, after listening to uh, what Nori had said. And essentially what he kept coming back to, and I asked a few other crew members as well, is like just transparency. Yeah. Like just keep us informed. Like that is the highest form of respect. It's mm-hmm. like if you can just let us know what's happening, like it one helps them to serve their whole team better. Yeah, for and sure. And it's also like they just feel like they're important enough to that we would feel like they need to be included. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it it com- again, it comes to like respect, you know, like respecting your crew, um, respecting also like your clients, you know, having them be like transparent with you and you with them, 
for instance, I was just on a job where we were kind of missing on uh, a lot of like the interviews that we were supposed to be doing. We were doing some like run and gun like doco stuff, and like all the interviews kept like falling through. But you know, like our clients, we had really good relationships. You know, so they kept us. They kept that transparency throughout. You know, they're like, hey, like just so you know, like we might have to be waiting like a few hours to like see if we can scrounge up another like interview. You know, and then just me passing that on to my crew, and then them being like, okay, like we're we're game for whatever. You know, like yeah. we'll just do whatever it takes to get it done. So yeah, it's it's fascinating how quickly just keeping someone in the dark can uh, have them t- <laughs> have a it, negative impact. On. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But man, cool. Well, that was a great podcast, a great guest. I'm sure we'll have him on again. Yeah, That's, yeah. Great job in that interview. It's, it's so fun listening to, to yeah. Nori also. I think I haven't officially decided. I guess people will know by now, but uh-huh. I think I'm calling it How to Direct Like a Magician. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Michael. Of course. Thank and, you guys, uh, everybody, for listening. Until next time. Yeah.